0: I don't know if I need to reintroduce myself to you. My name is Paul Gotthardt. And, um, hey, listen, listen. I just want you all to know, in 23 years of being a pastor, I have maybe been out of the pulpit because of sickness maybe six to seven times. In the last three weeks, it's been twice. So when we talk about the fact that prayer is important, let me just tell you, I am grateful for your prayers. Now, at the same time, I'd also like to say that God has blessed this church with some incredible leaders. This last week, this last week, hold a second, just listen, this last week, Pastor Ken got like one hour's notice to bring a message. And listen, and he brought a word from the word this last week. Yes, I was watching online in between throwing up at different points last Sunday. And I was watching online, and here's Tim leading worship, and you would have thought he was the one that planned the set and been practicing the whole week. He stepped in last moment on that, and God used him. Thank you, Tim. Then on Sunday night, my nephew, I ended up uh, contacting him. I was like, I got a possibility for you. And uh, God blessed, and he was willing to step in, and I'm so grateful. Alan, thank you for what you did this last week. Here's the point that hit me. What the enemy always means for evil, God can turn for good. Amen? Amen. Amen. So this morning, we are asking our fifth and final question in our vision series. We're asking the question, what is kingdom success? And so far we have asked, what has God done? What is God's heart? Where is God leading? How can we join him? And then today, what is kingdom success? In other words, what does the win look like? How do we know if we're actually accomplishing what we're setting out to do? So if you're playing in a game, the final score is going to tell you the results. If you're taking an exam, your final grade will tell you how well you did in that moment. If you're trying to lose weight, the scale will help you know, am I moving in the right direction or am I not moving in the right direction? So if our focus here is what does it look like for people to be awakened by the gospel to a life of knowing Christ and making him known? How do you measure that? How do you know if it's happening? Do you measure it by our standard church metrics of attendance numbers and giving numbers and how many baptisms have happened and how many small groups are are currently running? And, And listen, don't get me wrong, I love me some stats. I have stats that go back to when I first became a pastor. I can tell you about attendance and giving and those who were baptized and all sorts of other fun categories all the way back into 2000. I love stats, but here's the thing stats will only give you a portion of the bigger picture. It's kind of like trying to evaluate whether or not a family is healthy by discerning based on the pictures they posted online from their vacation last year like it it looked like the kids were happy everybody had a smile on their face and you could tell they had some nice meals and they stayed at a nice place but that doesn't necessarily tell you the story of what happens behind doors the other 51 weeks out of the year so kind of bring that back into vision and church life That is, how do you understand the health of a church? How do we move forward measuring what God is doing on the inside? Now, listen, I've already said it. I love me some stats. But your normal church statistics do not measure things like stronger marriages and stronger families. They don't measure whether or not things are going deeper in biblical community. They don't measure the increased number of hours that are being spent in prayer and spent in the word of God. They don't describe the thousands and thousands and thousands of individual steps of sanctification and moments of obedience and the seeds that are being sown out into the community. They don't measure the number of people who are now engaging their spiritual gifts and they definitely don't measure measure our hearts being awakened by the gospel of Jesus Christ so my question is how do we build a culture that celebrates the whole journey and mark my words seeing people awakened by the gospel to a life of knowing Christ and making him known it's a journey it's not just one step it is a process over time So I'm gonna give you a kingdom concept. I got a kingdom concept and a kingdom principle. I'm gonna give you the first one up front. We're gonna work this one out. Here's a, a kingdom concept. Kingdom success happens when God redeems moments of faithfulness for the advancement of the gospel and the expansion of his kingdom. Kingdom success, it happens when God redeems moments of faithfulness for the advancement of the gospel and the expansion of his kingdom. Now these redeemed moments of faithfulness, they can include things like spending time with God. They can include things like an increased time of prayer. It's a moment of faithfulness that God is redeeming. It could include things like serving with the gifts that God put in you or loving your spouse well or discipling and playing with your kids so that they one day will know and love Jesus. It could be giving towards the advancement of the gospel, praying for your neighbor. It could be something as simple as God prompts you with a neighbor You're to write a moment, a note of encouragement, and in that moment, you're faithful in your obedience unto God, and God redeems that in order to advance the kingdom forward. Did you know that even giving a glass of water in Jesus' name is about the advancement of the kingdom? The, The issue here is until believers learn to discern and to celebrate kingdom success, Until that happens, we always find ourselves looking at other metrics that may or may not measure what God's doing in the hearts and the minds and the people within the church. But listen, when we begin to measure those moments, there's a new joy that happens. A new excitement that happens. There's new passion that happens. Because you begin to look all around you and you see the activity of God everywhere. So how do you recognize Redeemable moments in the moment. I don't know if you all have ever had this happen, but there's times I'm in a conversation, there's something just occurred, and I walk away from it, and it's like the Spirit of God says, you just missed that moment. Amen. But in the moment, I'm over here like, I knocked it out of the park. And God's like, you, you missed what I was doing. How do we learn to recognize redeemable moments in the moment well a part of that is our book of the month the practice of the presence of god by brother lawrence a a part of that on an individual level and he helps flesh that idea out is how ordinary moments become holy moments when they're done for the glory of god and for the purpose of knowing him any moment along the way when God is a part of the process, it becomes a redeemable moment. So on an individual level, I encourage you, read the book for this month. It's a small one. By the way, I love small books. I like checking things off my list. A small book gets me there faster. So this, this book is a small book, but it is, it's one of the classics of the faith. But for us today on a corporate level, how do we start that same conversation? How how do we begin to recognize those moments of faithfulness and celebrate all the parts of the journey? So a part of the answer is to recognize kingdom success. If we don't know what kingdom success is, we will not know it when we see it. Another part of that is to live with and to operate with kingdom mindset. And we're going to pull this out today in our text. So I invite you to go with me to Bibles, Mark's Gospel chapter number 10. Mark's gospel, chapter number 10, will be in verses 13 through 16. We're talking today about kingdom success. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. It says, and they were bringing children to him so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them, speaking of the parents. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And he took them in his arms and began blessing them, laying his hands on them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we need your spirit to guide us into all truth today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 10 is a kingdom passage. And from the surface, it may seem a little bit unimpressive. It's basically the story of some parents who were bringing their children to Jesus so that Jesus would bless them. And in the process of that happening, the disciples get upset and rebuke the parents. But it's in Jesus' reply back to the disciples that we see some principles about the kingdom of God that are absolutely relevant for every single follower of Jesus Christ. So according to Jesus, the same qualities that allow us entrance into the kingdom are the same qualities that keep us aligned with the kingdom. Let me say that again. The same qualities that allow us entrance into the kingdom are the same qualities that keep us aligned with the kingdom. So you may be wondering at this point, like, what is the kingdom? I've defined it a couple of times. You might be new in the room, or you might not have been paying complete attention when I shared it the last time. So it's a solid question. We need to make sure that we're all focused on what is the kingdom. So here's what the kingdom of God is not. The kingdom of God is not heaven. The kingdom's not the church. The kingdom is not, I don't know, some make-believe place for medieval enthusiasts. It's bigger than this. Some of you will get that later on. So Dallas Willard gives probably one of the best definitions of the kingdom that I've ever heard. He says, the kingdom is the range of God's effective will where what he wants done is done. The kingdom is the range of God's effective will where what he wants done is done. Now, everybody has a will, and we also have an effective will. Our will describes our desires. Our effective will defines our reality. So my will is that I drive a Ferrari to work every day. My effective will dictates that I drive a truck to work every day. Amen. (laughs) There's a difference between my desires and my reality. There's a difference between maybe what I want and what I have the ability to effectively change. Does that make sense? Difference between will and effective will. Well, whenever God enters this equation, it's being used to define Him. There's a twist to this. And the reason is because we know God is sovereign, He's all powerful, He can do anything He desires. He's all-knowing. He is ever-present. So he can do anything he wants, any time he wants. That's him. But here's the thing. Part of his will, he has chosen to accomplish through his people. So here's a great example. He could say now, and every person in the world would hear the gospel. But instead, he sends his people With the message of the gospel to share his heart for redemption. As God's people step out in obedience, here's what happens His will. Becomes his effective will in that area. The range of God's activity begins to move forward. The kingdom happens when God lives his life through his people, when churches live on mission with him, when God honoring denominations and organizations and ministries are serving. Uh, Kingdom expansion happens through Christian schools, Christian radio, Christian TV, Christian movies. In other words, when believers are engaging in the advancement of God's kingdom his kingdom is expanding it's moving forward his will becomes his effective will in that area so for you and I this now comes back to a wonderful reality when we understand what the kingdom is looking like that means when we are having gospel conversations that's kingdom talk when you're sowing the seed of the word that's kingdom farming When you're going out and you are investing in others, what God has implanted in you, that's kingdom investing going on. It's a way that we begin to live on mission with God so that God's sovereign activity in the world, his kingdom is expanding along the way. When Christians understand kingdom, two realities set in. First, it opens our eyes to countless kingdom opportunities. You can serve a homeless person and that's kingdom service. You can write a note of encouragement to somebody, and that's a kingdom note you just sent out. You can take a mission trip, and that, that's kingdom activity. Volunteer on serve day, kingdom opportunity. All along the way, when the people of God are being about the mission of God and expanding his kingdom for that's kingdom opportunity. So here's the other piece that now sinks in. It drops the barriers that divide us. I don't know if you all know this or not, but churches and ministry tend to be territorial. Do you know that? I, I know. Brand new information for a lot of people out there. But a lot of times churches like to know there's other Christians out there. We just like them to stay out there. Not over here. Not around. Like, you, they need to stay out there. Did you know that is not God's heart? it has to be when we understand kingdom we look at other bible based kingdom minded churches they are not our competition they are our teammates And in that situation, when one church is moving the cause of Christ forward in their circle of influence, and this ministry is living on mission with God, and this church is about the kingdom, and we're running in our lane about the kingdom, here's what happens. There's opportunity to celebrate all the way around because the kingdom is bigger than just one church. It's bigger than one denomination. If you'll remember Jesus says in Matthew 6:33, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. It's with willingness, it's with joy, it is with excitement that we seek first the kingdom. It's because of our heart for the kingdom that we want to plant churches and we want to support current churches. It's with a heart for the kingdom that we want to encourage pastors. It's with a heart for the kingdom that we want to take mission trips and to engage the nations. It's a part of what's happening to develop kingdom living. Now, in the last couple of years, as things in our world have gotten, let's just say, more chaotic, and I know that's a relative term. I mean, there's always been chaos. It just seems like there's a lot more things that are pronounced right now. There's been more division. There's been more disruption there's been more confusion all of these different things when that's happened here's a a trend that is happening within local churches they're sitting on resources pulling back from the mission and now focusing inward to make sure we're all taken care of i've got at least two problems with that First of those is Jesus did not say, seek first the kingdom unless the world gets chaotic around you. Second part of that is he did not say, seek and build your kingdom first, and if you got some extra time, would you work on mine? It's seek the kingdom. We're either walking in obedience or in disobedience. There's no two ways about that. So if we understand kingdom and we understand moments, redeemed moments of faithfulness, and we understand when the people of God are living on mission with God, it is pushing back darkness. It is expanding God's kingdom. When we get that, all of a sudden we're now ready for what's happening in this text. Here's what's happening in the text. Jesus says, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. Now, we're ready for our kingdom principle. When you think kingdom, remember the kids. When you think kingdom, remember the kids. When you think kingdom, remember the kids. This is a principle that flows out of the context of what's happening in Mark chapter 10. We know Jesus was a master of communication. He used different approaches when teaching. Sometimes he would use symbols, sometimes miracles, sometimes parables and proverbs, and many times he would use paradox. That's what's taking place in this particular text. In fact, there are five paradoxical statements that he makes in Mark chapter 10 in order to illustrate five major principles about how the kingdom operates. Now, a paradox is a statement that seems to contradict itself, yet it expresses a truth that is valid or a principle that is valid. So in chapter 10, there's five of these paradoxes. I've listed them in your notes. First, two shall be one. That's a paradoxical statement, verses one through 12. Adults shall be as children, 13 through 16. First shall be last, 17 through 31. Servants shall be rulers, 32 through 45. Poor shall become rich, 46 through 52. It is the second of those paradoxical statements that has our attention for this morning. That is the idea of adults shall be as children. To enter the kingdom and to operate in the kingdom, Jesus is teaching that adults shall be his children. Now, we need to be very, very clear here. That does not mean he wants us to act immature. Okay? This is not some biblical proof text for never growing up, never taking responsibility, and not becoming a productive member of society. Don't, don't pin that on Jesus. That's bad interpretation going on. So here's what's happening to this. It flows out of the story itself. Jesus has just answered a number of questions that were presented to him by his disciples and by the Pharisees. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's already told them what's going to happen once he gets to Jerusalem. Mark chapter 9, verse 31. Jesus said the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. Jesus is a man on mission. He's a man who knows the end is drawing near. But before Jesus and the disciples could get on their way... All these parents started plopping their little kids in Jesus' lap. And they just keep dropping off the children. They just dropping off another one. And the disciples, they know what Jesus' regular schedule looks like. I mean, he's out casting out demons. He's out teaching. He's out doing the miraculous. And all these parents keep plopping their little kids in Jesus' lap. Now, here's a part of the culture moms wanted to make sure that their children had been blessed by a distinguished rabbi on or immediately after their first birthday so these moms are just wanting to bring their their child get the blessing of christ so put yourselves in the disciples position for just a moment they knew jesus was on a mission they knew his regular activity was not what they were seeing at that moment And now it seems like he's unable to move forward on mission because these parents seem to be getting in the way, dropping off their kids. Now, I I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they're looking at this saying, hey, Jesus, we got to go. Like, we got a schedule to keep. It might have been... The disciples had already been working the crowds and saying, hey, just five more minutes, everybody, five more minutes, and then we got to go. And then the parents went 10 minutes and 15 minutes, and they're like, they're not listening. I, I don't know what happened in that moment. Here's what I do know. At some point along the way, the disciples got so upset with the parents, they rebuked the parents. And here's what Jesus, it says in the text. Jesus was indignant. That's a Greek word means ticked (laughs) he's mad he's upset with what just happened here and in fact what you find is he openly rebukes the disciples and he contrasts the qualities of kids with principles of the kingdom so here's our principle when you think kingdom remember the kids when you think kingdom remember the kids now this is where we got to be careful in our interpretation christians have a way of romanticizing the words of jesus to come up with a completely different interpretation than what he's talking about so we'll look at something like that we're like well what are the qualities of a kid well you know children they have a humble attitude a lot of times and maybe an unassuming innocence and they have a short-term memory whenever they've been wronged, and a lot of times they're trusting in a teachable spirit, and they're willing to help if they're asked. And we come up with our own interpretation of what we think he's talking about. And it sounds good, but it's wrong. <laughs> it's completely wrong. Let me give you a couple of reasons on that. First, every kid does not have the before-mentioned qualities that I just shared. That Kids are naive a lot of times, but innocent? Mm, I'm not sure about that one. Kids can hold grudges longer than adults. Some of them can put on a clinic and selfishness. And try teaching your children to do chores and talk to me about their willingness to help when needed. Oh, here's another fun one. We conveniently leave out the qualities of kids that don't fit our narrative at that moment. How about the fact that a lot of times they're disobedience? How about the fact they can throw a temper tantrum and and they're foolish. Now, are those the qualities in children that we think Jesus wants exemplified in the kingdom? I don't think so. This is, again, context. I always go back, context, context, context. What did it mean to the original audience in the original setting, original purpose, original time? Like, what did it mean there? Here's some things about children in that culture that would have gone across the board. First, kids lack power kids lack power a child did not have social influence or even legal rights apart from their family it was not within their ability to influence change or to make demands or here it is set their own agenda They are effectively without power. As soon as you recognize that, you now have a direct connection back to what Jesus is addressing with his disciples. There's a correlation here. The disciples, whether out of good intentions or personal irritation, they're trying to set Jesus' agenda. They're trying to get God on their page instead of them getting on God's page. Jesus wasn't complaining about the kids. He wasn't telling them to send the families away. He's redeeming a moment. He's sitting with these children, blessing the children, and in the process, blessing the families. How do we know that he's doing what he's supposed to do? Because over and over again, in the Gospels, you find that he would sit with the Father, and he says, whatever it is the Father has told me, that's what I'm going to do. He's doing exactly what he was supposed to be doing in that moment. And yet they're trying to drive the agenda. Now here's an incredible principle for every follower of Christ. As kingdom citizens, we have no rights, no power, no agenda apart from what is given to us by God. Said differently, does God have the right Turn your schedule upside down without asking your permission first. Does he have the right to throw your agenda out the door and to replace it with his plan? Does he have the right to say give this amount Serve in this capacity. Invest in that person. Come with me on this mission trip. Release your grip in this area. Follow me into deeper areas of faith. Does God have the right to radically turn your life upside down for the advancement of the kingdom? Yes. Yes, he does. Here's the issue. Too many Christians are trying to negotiate a spiritual contract with God. They'll say, God, I'll go if you do this. God, I'll serve if you hook me up in this area. But remember, how you entered the kingdom is how you operate in the kingdom. We did not negotiate a contract coming in. You don't negotiate a contract when you're in. It's either we walk in obedience or we're walking in disobedience. When you think kingdom, remember the kids. Kids lack power. Here's the second one. Kids need help. They need help. In Jesus' culture, as well as in ours, kids are completely dependent upon their parents. Now, remember the optimal time for a mom to come and have their child blessed by a distinguished rabbi was on or immediately after their first birthday. Contextually, these would have been children, little tiny children, one-year-old, maybe moving in between one and two, young children. A one-year-old is completely dependent upon their parents for protection and provision. A child needs someone to feed them and to care for them and to guide them and to love them and to watch over them. Here it is. They are absolutely dependent. They are absolutely dependent. They are absolutely dependent. When a person enters the kingdom of God, they are absolutely dependent. They are sinners in need of a Savior. They are helpless to make things right on their own. Unless God acts on their behalf, they are doomed to an eternity separated from their creator. They have nothing to give but depravity, nothing to offer but brokenness, nothing in their hands but the filthy rags of self-righteousness. And when that person comes face-to-face with the reality of the cross, they become painfully aware that they are helpless and in need of a savior. You're unable to save yourself apart from what God does. And after salvation, we remain completely dependent upon our heavenly father. It's like a child that we live within his kingdom. Here's a part that surprises a lot of Christians. God never removes us from a position of dependence. Never. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Did you know that every single one of us are completely dependent upon the mercy and grace of God every day of our life? It's God who put the talents and the gifts in our life. It's God who gives us the health to be able to get out into live and to operate and to make a living. It's God who's the one who protects our mind. It's God who's the one who has kept a roof over our head and food on our table and clothes on our back. And listen to this, the very breath we breathe is on loan from God. Every part of it, we remain dependent upon him. Hey, here's a thought that just hit me a second ago. If I look at my bank account for advancing the kingdom of God to reach the nations, we ain't going far. (laughs) But here's the thing. It's not dependent on my bank account. My heavenly father owns it all. My part is to faithfully obey what he's told me to do in my life. Our, Our God is the source. People have resources. God is the source. When believers recognize that We're always in need of help. We're never removed from the position of dependence. Here's what happens. It drives us back to our knees in prayer. It reminds us over and over again that anything that happens, any good that comes, any fruit that remains, it's not because we were so wise. It's not because we were so strong. It's not because we were so gifted. It is completely because our Heavenly Father has been gracious to pour out His mercy on our behalf. When you think kingdom, remember the kids. Remember the kids. Kids need help. Think of this: What does that one or two-year-old do when they're hurting, when they're upset, and they're overwhelmed? Hands come up. Hand. It's almost instinctive in that moment. Hands. Come up, this is a side note, but it might be one of the best notes you get today. There's different postures of worship that are mentioned in scripture. And sometimes you go around David and it got so hot around David he, he moved into dance. And I know we don't like to talk about that up in the Baptist churches but it was celebration and dancing. That is a part of a posture of worship. There's sometimes that you're in the presence of God and it becomes so overwhelming that all you could do is get on your face before a holy God because you know that you are at his mercy every moment of the day. But then there's those moments when someone is singing. It's a worship song that's going on and all of a sudden your hands come up and here it is i've been praying about this i was like god why does that happen there's three points that i can recognize sometimes it's father i need it's what's being expressed in that song is what i need in my life today i need you i need your mercy i need your provision like a child daddy i need you sometimes it's father i can testify It's what we're singing, is what I've lived. And I can tell you by experience He is faithful and He is good and He is righteous and He is holy. I can testify. And sometimes your hands come up and it's, Father, I submit. I have been running too long from you. You keep coming after me and I keep walking away. But today I so desperately need what you're offering. My hands are up, I'm coming out. God, I submit. Listen, when you think kingdom, remember the kids. You don't know that other person's story who's sitting next to you. You don't know the journey God has them on. And why their hands are lifted might not be why yours are lifted. But there is a moment in an authentic walk with God where you just say, Abba, I need you. Daddy? Daddy? I'm coming to you. Oh, Father, I can testify that's what you've done for me. When you think kingdom, remember the kids. So here, here we have our principles. The first is how do we operate in the kingdom? Kids need help. They need help. What are you walking through today that seems to be too much for you to handle? Just know your heavenly Father's there. Throw up your hands and say, Daddy, I need your help. Kids lack power. Where today is God stretching you and prompting you and disrupting you? And He keeps turning your plans upside down and you keep fighting Him every step of the way. And all of a sudden He reminds you, I have no rights, no power, no agenda apart from what God gives me. If He turns the agenda upside down, wasn't my agenda to begin with, it's His. When you think kingdom, remember the kids. Here's our kingdom concept. That is, kingdom success happens when God redeems moments of faithfulness for the advancement of the kingdom and the expansion of the gospel. We need to celebrate the whole journey. Kingdom success is measured in those redeemable moments, measurements that might not fit on the church metric scales. But they are the steps of obedience and the opportunities that God has given. Many times it leads to those other numbers that we get really excited about celebrating. Redeemed moments help us see God's affairs in the daily activities of life. Redeemed moments help us to see how God is at work turning all things together for good. So my question for you is how is God prompting you to respond? What is God stirring in your heart today? Where's that place where he's saying, I'm calling you to this, and you keep saying, but God, I don't think I'm ready. That's okay, because our Father knows our needs. You might say, God, I don't have the resources to do that. That's okay, your daddy's loaded. He's got it all. The issue is will We walk in obedience and allow God to redeem those moments for his glory. Some of you today, it might have been that God has been after you for a long time. And you keep running and running and running. And it's not getting any better. It just gets more confusing. This morning, would you consider running to him? It might be today that you have been praying about a church home for a while, and God has been prompting you, Sherwood's at home, and you keep saying, but I'm going to wait until this. this," Here's here's a thought, something God brings me back to constantly. There is safety in submission to God. Just step into submission and allow Him to do what only He can. It might be that God has been prompting you on... The meet the need campaign. And maybe it's been something that you're saying, I'll get to that later on. And yet he brings it up in another place and brings it up in another place. Again, there is safety and submission to God. I could not dream of everything that God is working on in people's lives. So all I'm going to do is say, would you respond in faithfulness and obedience to how God is prompting you? I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow with me for just a moment. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Our pastors are going to be coming towards the front. Our worship team is going to be stepping back up on stage. The end of a service is one of those incredibly, incredibly important moments. It's a moment for some people where they will either take another step towards disobedience or either they take a step towards faithfulness. This morning there's, there's a spiritual battle that is happening in the heavenlies, over churches, over believers, over cities, and we need our heavenly Father. He never removes us from a position of dependence so in just a moment when we'll have a word of prayer and when we're being led in one final song the altar will be open And it might be that this morning you just need to come and to have prayer it might be that you don't even know where to start in prayer but you would like to have a pastor pray for you there's pastors standing at the end of each of these aisles it might be today that that you're not sure if you were to close your eyes in death if you would open your eyes in the presence of God but you want to know for sure I I want to encourage you come talk to one of these pastors however God is prompting you I'm going to encourage you to respond in obedience to him Heavenly Father we recognize that without you we can do nothing we recognize that unless your spirit moves And God, hearts are never changed. Lives are never changed. Our change is temporary at best. God, we need something that is so clearly of you that we're not going to argue our way back out of it and try to explain it away. So God, would you have your way as the service is coming to a close? And God, we will thank you for that. In Jesus' name amen. If you would, stand, the altar is open, and sing as you desire.